Hello, I am the host of Shifting Culture, Joshua Johnson. I just want to come on before the episode and tell you all thank you for listening. Did you know that big things are coming for Shifting Culture and you can be a part of it? We have just launched a Patreon. When you become a monthly patron to the show, you will get our episode ad-free, get early access to episodes, be able to download episode guides, and get bonus shows. Go to patreon.com slash shifting culture to support all that we are doing. Your support means that we can continue to help the body of Christ look more like Jesus. Again, go to patreon.com slash shifting culture. Thank you so much. Now, on to the episode. Hello, and welcome to the Shifting Culture Podcast, in which we have conversations about the culture we create and the impact we can make. I'm your host, Joshua Johnson. Go to shiftingculturepodcast.com to interact or donate. If you're enjoying the show, it would help us a lot to reach new people if you'd leave a rating or review on your podcast app and spread the word to your friends and network. Previous guests on the show have included Roy Moran, Steve Addison, and Pam Arland. You could go back, you could listen to those episodes, and many more. But today's guest is David Brudrick. David has been pioneering God movements and mentoring leaders on every continent for over 30 years. He currently serves as the Strategic Director for Accelerate Global, Director of Southern Africa and Global Urban Ministry for New Generations, and Executive Director of 248 in South Africa. We have a fantastic conversation on what it takes to catalyze movement and have faith that is obedient to God despite the consequences. Enjoy the conversation. This episode is brought to you by All Nations Kansas City. Have you ever felt wholly discontent that one-third of the world doesn't know Jesus, that the church as we know it won't reach all peoples on earth, and that it's hard to find ways to use your gifts for the kingdom of God? Well, you're not alone. We feel it too. With 30 years of experience igniting movements to Jesus around the world, committed to following the lead of the Holy Spirit, All Nations has gifted trainers and coaches with time in the trenches. Do you want to make disciples in hard places? Do you want to join a like-minded community? Are you tired of compromising for the status quo? Then join us on The Leading Edge. Go to allnations.us to learn more. This podcast is done in association with the MX Platform and 100M Publishing. The MX Platform is a space for any disciple to be resourced and equipped to release movement within their context. So whether you lead your family, a small group, a microchurch, or you're a planter or pastor, you can find tools, resources, and training to help release potential within yourself and context. 100M Publishing publishes books by authors and thought leaders with new insight about movement DNA, discipleship, leadership, and movement dynamics. To learn more about these books and to check out the resources and training available, visit themxplatform.com. David, welcome. Thanks for coming to the podcast. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you, Joshua. So great to be with you. (laughs) Yeah. When you, uh, what was the the impetus for you to really move into movement dynamics and movement thinking uh, when it comes to disciple making in church? Yeah, well, I, I've been in ministry sort of um, over 30 years and uh, really started in uh, traditional church leadership, pastoral work and traditional missions work and then church planting. Yeah. And um, through that journey, um, one of the things that really stood out to me was when we began to do small group work and uh, these groups were beginning to multiply. Uh, in fact, you know, in the first year, we, we went from zero to 100 small groups mm-hmm. and they were multiplying over a, a large radius. Yeah. And uh, as um, one of the church leaders and certainly uh, the other church leaders were in a real quandary about this, because how do you get all these people to come to church? And um, so we, we were doing this mission work and I was also pastoring a church and I was beginning to see the tension that was developing between the two philosophies almost. And we had no idea what movement was, um, but we were seeing it. We were witnessing it. 
And we had no methods. We had no tactics. We just were just following what God was telling us to do. Mm. And um, it was exploding. And so the only thing I knew to do at that stage was, uh, well, you've got to plant churches, right? If they can't come to church, you've got to plant yeah. churches. And by that, I mean traditional churches. And so um, I followed the traditional route. Mm. And um, we built a big truck. We called it the gospel truck. <laughs> and, and the side of the truck uh, fell down, became a stage. And we pulled a 16 kilowatt generator and we, we would go from village to village where these groups were exp uh, expanding and exploding. And we would do crusades, tr mm. traditional crusades. And, and then we would try and plant traditional churches. And I, I, I did this for a while and, and soon began to realize that the, um, what I was desiring to see in the book of Acts is not what I was seeing in real mm. life. Yeah. And, and so much of this was dependent on my energy and I was burning out mm -hmm. and, and my budget. And it wasn't very big <laughs> and uh, my ability to, you know, be the man of God. And, um, you know, by, by all measures, traditional measures, we were doing well. Yeah. Um, but I, I was beginning to yearn for the multiplication and, and really I was beginning to yearn for what we first saw with the multiplication of these small groups. Yeah. And, and so I went into this period of tension, um, and, and this was this was many years ago. So movements weren't even you know on the radar. Yeah. Um, the internet was just emerging, and uh, at that stage there were these little rebel groups talking about house churches, you know, and <laughs> simple churches, and and um, you, you were almost you know kind of ostracized from your pastoral. Uh, fellowship, if you dared talk about any of these rebel things that were emerging. Um, and to be honest, many of them were pretty, they were kind of disenfranchised people that were mm -hmm. angry, you know, clubs of people. And so um, I, I just, I just knew from personal experience, not not from this stuff that was emerging, but personal experience, what we had seen mm -hmm. was the gospel move um, naturally uh, organically, virally, whatever word you want to use, but yeah. from person to person through ordinary people. Mm. And I was yearning for that. And, and that was probably my first journey, my first foray into, into movement thinking. It took a long mm. time before we used the word movement. Yeah. But I was yearning for that first experience. Mm. So as you, you, you realize that this is what you were yearning for, you, you were wanting to see the book of Acts happen um, and you wanted to go back into that movement as you uh, were saying, okay, I'm, I'm the man of God, I'm burning out, I have all of these crusades, our budget is, is running out. What happened to get you to, to a place of all right, we have to shift a little bit and start to work towards uh, these small group dynamics and movement uh, in the future and not just lay on your on what happened in the past. Well, you know, I, I wish I could tell you a story of this is before and then I had this <laughs> angelic encounter and this is after. But the reality is I got born again many times and um, yeah. I had these revelations and, and insights into the kingdom um, over and over and over. And so uh, we, we actually established four traditional churches like that. And then uh, the fifth one was on its way and I was burnt out. And, and so I, I moved on from there and I moved to a new city, uh, which is in South Africa, halfway between two big cities, Johannesburg and Victoria, mm -hmm. an area called Midrand. And uh, well, when we moved there, there were cows and sheep and no people. It was just <laughs> in between these cities. But soon after we moved there, hundreds of thousands of people just flocked there and mm -hmm. began to develop and build. And, um, and I, I went, my wife and I moved there with nothing, no money, no resources, nothing. And we just dreamt of something new and something different. Mm -hmm. and it, it was hard. I, really, it was hard. Yeah. Um, and uh, after seven years of pursuing this and chasing this, we had ended up with another traditional church mm -hmm. plant. Yeah. And, and we were in a school hall and uh, you're about a hundred people and you know how traditional church planting goes, you're the usher and the musician and the preacher and the yeah. counselor and you're the everything. And um, so, you know, I was back into that mode mm -hmm. and, 
you know, I was, I was, again, I was just burning out. Yeah. And, and I was asking myself the big question. Um, if I keep doing this for 30 years, what, what will be the impact? Hmm. And uh, so the real turning point came the one morning, a Sunday morning, when I woke up, I turned to my wife in bed and I said, something's very wrong. <laughs> and uh, we live in South Africa where there's a lot of uh, kind of home invasion. And so she jumped up and said, what's wrong? What's wrong? Is there someone in the house? What's going on? <laughs> and I said, no, something's wrong. It's wrong in here. And she said, what's wrong? And I said, I don't want to go to church and I'm the pastor. <laughs> and and so something is horribly wrong and it's not just about this morning it's just mm. something is 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 a disconnect for me yeah um anyway i went to church that sunday and i i began to preach a sermon and i don't know what i said i'm sure it was a good sermon but while i was talking my mind drifted up into the sky and i looked down on my city and i asked a question i hadn't really asked until that point it was a, a question of vision at that stage, the two cities had kind of merged and, and there were 10 million people around me. And I asked, what would it take to reach or significantly impact the lives of 10 million people? Hmm. And, and I realized the path I was on, which was, again, a traditional church planting road, although there was some economic sustainability in it, right? People yeah. were tithing and giving and, you know, and although um, there was some significance in it, people looked to me as their leader and, you know, hmm. these people were kind of following me although these things were in place and although we were beginning to look for land and we were going to build you know building and, and all that 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 route i was deeply dissatisfied because that entire route would not get to me to where mm. i believe god wanted us to be mm. um, which was to impact cities yeah and and i knew that if i spent 30 40 years on that journey i you know if i was wildly successful maybe i could build a church of 30,000 people but that's not 10 million today it's 15 million you know it, yeah. it, the population growth the 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 explosion of cities just way mm -hmm. surpassed my ability to build buildings and gather people in in traditional churches and so i was deeply um dissatisfied and i i went on holiday the next day I, my wife and i just booked leave and we drove and uh, we went to the coast about eight hours from where we were and i i remember i was in a i was in a dark place um i stopped and i, I got out the car i said to my wife take the kids take the bags put them in the place where we're going to stay i'm going and i i don't think i closed the door car door i just walked into the street and i began to walk the streets of this little town and and i was i was complaining to god i was telling him how awful his calling was and um what a terrible mistake he'd made in calling me and um really just you know having a good complaint session i don't know if you've ever tried arguing with god but you usually lose yeah and and i went down one street the second street and i remember the third street i walked down halfway through i heard a voice and it, it was God speaking to me directly and he said, you're not doing what I told you to do. Hmm. And I stopped and I just went cold hmm. because I, I knew what he was saying. He had called us into, we still didn't have the word movement, but he yeah. called us into this thing that looked like what we call movement today. But I couldn't find anyone who was doing it. Hmm. And, and I couldn't see any uh, examples and, it seemed it crazy to me. And anybody who had spoken some of this language didn't seem to be working. And so I had backed off from it mm. and I had gone back into traditional church planting. And, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. There, yeah. I mean, we, we must affirm that. The, the, the issue here wasn't traditional church versus movement. The issue was um, responding to the call of God versus settling for something less or something else. Yeah. And, and I had settled for something else. Hmm. And um, so we went back and we announced to the church we were going to go through some serious transition. And within a year, we had, we had left that church plant. Hmm. And uh, we were fully committed um, to build what we still didn't understand as movements, yeah. but we were fully committed to this. <laughs> wow. I, I mean, so what, what would you say to people when they're, they're thinking, okay, maybe I want to to really follow the call of God in my life and go after it. I think, I mean, you had, you had vision, um, 
you know, that God, as you were looking over your congregation giving a sermon, you had vision of what it actually looks like to reach a city. How do we reach 10 million? Um, you had disturbance inside of you. Like there was there was something that happened that you know that you weren't settled. Um, and then you had a lot of different metanoia moments, those paradigm shifts, those mind changes, those repentance moments to back to God. What would you say to people as they're they're trying to pursue what God has, the fullness of what God has for them? You know, as you look back on on how you really got there, what's what's that journey for others? Well, I mean, it's difficult to speak generally because everyone's on their own journey. Mm-hmm. But I, I would say that, um, you know, when I later on be, got to know David Watson and he went into a mentoring relationship with me, um, one of the things that he affirmed that I had sort of learned through my journey is, is faith is re- obedience to God regardless of the consequences. Mm. And um, I had a measure of faith that was willing to obey until I hit the consequences. And hmm. the consequences were severe for a young family. Yeah. Um, you know, no, no economic opportunities. Hmm. Um, uh, you know, significance was huge. Hmm. In fact, uh, after we'd made the decision, we went into another year of just darkness because we had placed so much significance in being the leaders of this church and, and all of a sudden we'd given it up. Nobody was looking to us to lead anymore. Mm. So nobody cared if I woke up in the morning Mm. and nobody cared what I was doing because um, I wasn't, you know, their pastor. Mm. And so uh, we had placed significance in the wrong places. Um, Mm. We had um, made choices out of uh, economic uh, need rather than obedience and um, so we had to lay all that down. And so mm. I, I would say that faith is obedience to God, regardless of the consequence. Mm. Wow. And, and that's pretty radical. And I, yeah. I, I think today, as I've you know been at this now for many years, um, I haven't seen a movement. I have not seen a movement that was not birthed out of uh, someone who took extreme sacrifices mm. yeah. to see it happen uh, somehow. And God builds on the sacrifices of his people. Hmm. And so there is extreme sacrifice to see a movement. We, we can't do it out of an armchair. We can't yeah. do it sitting at home, you know, drinking our um, Budweiser and shouting at the television like a lot of armchair sports people <laughs> yeah. and, and go, you know, he should have done this and he should have done that. And I know hmm. better. That's not a movement builder. You've got to get out in the field and there's pain hmm. involved. Uh, there's hmm. pain involved in the training process. Pain involved in the many, many, many years uh, that it takes to get to that point where you're playing on a team that others are, you know, recognizing. Hmm. And um, it's a journey. It really Hmm. is a journey. And that journey is a journey of faith and obedience. Yeah. Do you see as as people catalyze movements at the beginning with radical obedience um, and that faith to to really sacrifice? Have you seen uh, teams of people? having that sacrifice to move forward to catalyze movement. Um, what's the dynamic between the the one that's tr- really leading the charge and then maybe a, a team dynamic trying to to go in with radical obedience? Yeah, obviously the, the, the main person, the person that God uses to pioneer the work carries the, the biggest price <laughs> always. Mm-hmm. Um, but we haven't, again, we haven't seen movements burst unless there's team. And uh, today we work in urban contexts mostly. And this is especially true in the urban individualistic culture mm. uh, that is not collectivist, that is not, you know, communal, that's individualistic. Yeah. I, I see a lot of people talk movement. And then when you look around them, you don't see team. Mm. When you look behind them, you don't see new leaders. Uh, yeah. You see an individual and um, it, it's just a dream. It's not a vision. Mm. It's something that will never happen because they're trying to do it in isolation. Yeah. And, and the enemy I've seen over years, probably the greatest target for the enemy is the, is the primary team. That's what he'll go after. Mm. So I've seen movements emerge and the enemy rips that primary team to pieces and the entire movement's gone. Mm. 
Mm. And so uh, we will spend a lot of time today uh, strengthening the primary leader, strengthening the team and helping them to function as healthy teams, as well as build movements. Mm. Um, And then the the third leg is really uh, economic sustainability. Yeah, and so um, if if you're building for movement for long term, you've got to be building healthy leaders, healthy teams around those leaders. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got to help them build healthy, strong movements, and uh, you've got to help them with economic sustainability. Yeah, well, let's let's start there. Let's start with uh, healthy teams and and leaders. What is the what's the a rhythm that people could get into to to sustain health? Um, that won't won't burn people out and you know get them into a place where it's unsustainable for the long term. Well, I mean, the first rhythm that God gives us very clearly is a Sabbath rhythm. Um, you know, every seven days uh, yeah. you need to rest. And uh, I was in the beginning very unhealthy because I was working you know eight days out of the week, <laughs> and um, you know I was doing the, I was doing the work of two people. Yeah. And, and I was running, 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 and I could justify it. I could always justify it. Mm-hmm. And it was um, quite a profound thing when eventually the Lord, you know, convicted me on that and said, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, this is also a lack of faith. Mm-hmm. And it's, also, it's also believing that my own energy and my own wisdom and uh, all the things that I put in will create movement. Yeah. It takes faith to rest because... In that, we know that God is the author of this and God is the finisher of this. Yeah. And so um, it, it took me it took me several years to get to the point where I at least established a healthy rhythm of, uh, you know, working, uh, not working seven days a week. Mm. And so the, the first things that you want to do with a team is develop those rhythms of work and replenishment. Mm. And, and they're absolutely critical, absolutely yeah. important. And then uh, from that, we, be, we work with teams to begin to build several healthy rhythms, which is uh, daily, um, weekly, uh, monthly, quarterly, annually. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if I look at our team, we have rhythms on each one of those and we've built them over years. Yeah. And so, you know, several days a week, we will have stand-up meetings where yeah, a stand-up meeting is just short and quick and you don't sit down and start talking. You just stand and talk yeah. and it lasts 10 or 15 minutes, but we're catching up with each other and we're connecting with each other. Uh, we have two uh, weekly meetings and one is uh, really based on the team themselves, the individuals themselves. We, we actually function as a church when we're a team <laughs> and uh, we, we care for each other. We love each other. We encourage each other towards love and good deeds. And uh, we make sure that everybody on the team is is an acting practitioner, not just a person who's spouting full theories for others. Yeah. And so, um, you know, that that's one of the team meetings. And then the other team meeting, uh, what we call a general business meeting. So we spend, uh, you know, I think it's about an hour and a half a week. And we will c- come together and we will talk about the business uh, that we're involved in, movement building. Yeah. Um, and then we have, you know, um, quarterly rhythms where we get together for an entire week. Every three months, we go away somewhere as a team and we build relationships. We catch up on things. Today, um, we've taken those rhythms online because our core team is dispersed. Mm, yeah. And we're not even in the same city. And so, you know, Zoom like this in a dispersed way creates all kinds of misunderstandings and conflict because we can't read body language. We can't read intent. We don't really know what people mean when they speak on a flat screen. Yeah. And so every three months or so we have to work through that to avoid the bigger conflict that could come from those misunderstandings. Yeah. And then, and then annually we build rhythms. So when we work with a team, those aren't the rhythms that we project onto them. Mm-hmm. We basically help that team to, by asking the questions, yeah. what are the healthy rhythms that will work for your team? And we help them develop those rhythms. Mm-hmm. But, but what is core is that healthy rhythms are incredibly important for a team. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it begins with that rhythm of rest and replenishment. Yeah. I think that's good. I, 
I mean, it's the difference between a short-term mentality of trying to get things like, let's do a sprint uh, so that we could get things established and moving and going. And then the long-term, we're in it for the long haul. This is not just a a little short-term gig that we have. Um, you know, have you seen like long-term mentality? What does that look like for, for teams? If you're not in it for at least 10 years, you won't see movement. You, you might run an evangelism program, but you won't see movement. Yeah. Uh, movement is where you give enough time for the initial people that have come to Christ to grow and mature and replicate and become leaders that are inside leaders mm. to replicate further for healthy churches to emerge. Um, if you're not in this for the long term, you're not going to see movement. Mm. All movements follow a, a hockey stick pattern. There's yep. very little growth in the beginning, and then the growth starts happening. Uh, that doesn't take a week. It doesn't take uh, a year. It doesn't take three years. It takes longer. And so um, there's definitely a long period, and I'm not going to determine what that length of time is, but yeah. there's a long period of um, flat investment where you're investing in people and investing in groups and investing in leaders, and, and you're not seeing that, that exponential multiplication happen. Mm. And then suddenly you see this growth curve and, and you see this exponential multiplication and everybody comes along and goes, what's the secret that happened there where you started to see movement happen? Well, the secret <laughs> is the 10 years of investment before yeah. that. That's the secret. Yeah. And nobody wants to hear that. They're looking for this little key here that made it happen. Yeah. But the key is the long investment. Mm. And, yeah. and, and that is how movements work. If you, if you want to be involved in movements, then you've got to stop the crusade mentality mm. um, crusades and um, short-term programs see quick results and then those results crash mm. and i did that yeah you know at one stage we did missions and schools and we would go to rural african schools and we would say who wants to follow jesus well if there are 1500 kids in the school then 1200 would put their hands up I don't know how many of them knew what they were saying, but they put their hands up. And, and so you'd go around doing these responses and you, it's very easy in some contexts to get quick results. It really yeah. is. Mm -hmm. Whether it's evangelism, whether it's groups, whether it's new disciples, very easy to get. It's not so easy mm -hmm. to get to second generation, third generation, leadership development, locally led multiplying, forming healthy churches. That's movement. And that takes yeah. time to build. Mm. And, and so as you're looking at the at second, third generation leaders coming up, um, what's that investment into others to, to help grow leaders of the movement? Well, we, we actually talk about multiplying three structures, and, and this has really helped us. This language has helped us over the years. Um, in the early days, we used to talk about church and multiplying churches, and that just mm -hmm. became really confusing, especially in urban environments, because what is church? Yeah. And, and um, scripture doesn't really draw a circle around any structure and call it, call it church. Um, it, it talks about church. I, I usually say, say it talks about church as the people of God on mission to establish the kingdom of God. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't really say a church is 15 people or a church is 10,000 people or, you know, this is, yeah. it doesn't do that. And, and so it gives us very little guidance around structure sometimes. And, and that's why so many denominations have formed so many different expressions of structure. And they all can say this is biblical because it kind of is because when you get down to actual church structure, it's abiblical. Mm. Um, th there isn't much defined, and so it gives you freedom. And so we want to give that same freedom. And so uh, we talk about three structures that we see generally emerge in movements, and particularly urban movements where we're focused now. The first is uh, groups. It's the most basic structure of movement is where two or three or four or five or six or maybe up to 15 or 20 get together as a group and disciples begin making disciples. It's the most basic structure of, of movement. Yeah. And those have to multiply. Disciples have to multiply and groups have to multiply. The second structure that we talk about is gatherings. And 
usually what uh, happens, especially in urban settings, is several groups will say, hey, we want to gather. And um, you can fight it, <laughs> but you're going to lose the fight. Yeah. Um, and, and the reason you're going to lose the fight is because community is planted deep in the heart of man. Yeah. And when people come to Christ, they begin to seek out others like us. Mm. And two or three or four is not enough for me to, to feel significantly connected to community. It's not yeah. enough. Because if I got two friends, I may have two friends. Doesn't mean my wife connects with their wives. Doesn't yeah. mean my kids connect to their kids. And so I intuitively know that I need a larger community to connect to. So people start looking for that larger expression of community. We call that gathering. And, and the third um, structure that begins to emerge is team. We firmly believe that all healthy leadership is team-based leadership. Yeah. And so um, we talk about teams, we talk about groups, and we talk about gatherings. Mm. Now, these could have different names in different yeah. places. It doesn't really matter. But all of it really is an expression of church. Mm. And so when teams, groups, and gatherings begin to uh, multiply, um, we begin to see movement. So those, those healthy structures are extremely important. And um, sometimes we think that movements are just disciples making disciples. Yeah. But it, it, that's our individualistic culture being yeah. expressed. Mm -hmm. it's, it's not that. It's really uh, the community of God's people being multiplied. Mm. And we call that teams, groups, and gatherings. Mm. So as mm. teams begin to multiply, that's how we multiply healthy leadership. Mm. Uh, teams for us are leadership development environments. And so um, they're not just where the most experienced leaders sit in a circle and tell everyone else what to do. Mm. They are inclusive environments that, that raise up new emerging and potential leaders to lead mm. in the movement. And, and so those teams are very, very, very important for movements to happen. Mm. That's good. So as, as you see these, these movements emerge and you see these these teams and these groups and these gatherings start to multiply within uh, urban setting. Um, you know, in Proverbs, uh, one of the things that, that really gets me excited is, is when the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. Um, and so you're looking at, you know, deep uh, shalom uh, and peace and flourishing in a city. So, so as movement emerges, how does the city rejoice and flourish and the kingdom of God be established in that place? Well, the, the basic building block of any movement is, is the individual disciple. <laughs> and, and so um, how they live in the spaces where they live, where they work, where they play and where they surf online is very, very critical. Yeah. And so often we think that movements are built around our holy spaces, you know, um, and holy spaces can be, you know, we, we think about holy spaces, we think about, you know, historic church buildings that are high with glass wind, stained glass windows, and we go in and we're quiet and we're hushed. And we, that's a holy space, right? Yeah. But our modern church buildings are, are also holy spaces. They may be noisy and they may have drums and they may have, you know, electric guitars, but they're holy spaces in the sense that uh, when we enter them, we think, that there's almost a different set of rules here. This is a holy place. Yeah. You know, when I was pastoring in a church, I'd say the greatest miracle happens on a Sunday morning when a husband and wife fight all the way to church. They get out the car and suddenly they're, you know, they're not fighting anymore. They walk into church and everything is fine because they're in this holy space. Yeah. They walk back to the car and the fight starts again when they drive away. And so we, we have these holy spaces that we create. These holy spaces can be small groups. They can be home groups. Mm -hmm. They can be um, places where we, we behave by a different set of rules. We're not real. Mm -hmm. um, we're fake. We put on a mask and we pretend. Mm -hmm. um, these holy spaces are almost where we think movement takes place, but they're not. These are the equipping places yeah. for the saints to live out. Uh, the kingdom where they live, where they work, where they play, and where they surf online. Mm. And, and so that's where real transformation happens mm. when first and foremost, the individual disciple lives the kingdom mm. in those spaces. Mm. And uh, that comes in a multitude of ways. Um, and it comes when we build well, when we gather, mm -hmm. then we live well when we scattered. Mm. And, um, 
I give an example. I, I just in my own city have been building relationships with disciples because in, we believe that every single person needs to be doing it as yeah. well as, as well as helping others do it. And so that's challenging for me as a, a primary leader because yeah. I've got so much on my plate. And it's deeply challenging to wake up in the morning and say, um, where am I going to make disciples hmm. and who am I going to sit with and who am I going to uh, help grow in Christ? Yeah. And sometimes, I mean, even the last two weeks, my team has said to me, you, you need to stop doing that and you need to get, you know, start doing this other stuff. And I said, the day I stop making disciples is the day you need to stop following me. Yeah. Um, but it's not easy. It's yeah. really not easy on our on our, our timetables, on our calendars, but I'm committed to it. Mm-hmm. And so um, one of the places that I work is coffee shops. Mm-hmm. I just I just find I seem to be able to concentrate well when there's noise around me, white noise around me. Yeah. And so I go and sit in coffee shops and I my wife and I have moved to a new area the last year. We've been in Durban, South Africa. And we began to pray and say, God, where do you want us to make disciples? And uh, what he clearly said to us was young adults, you know, go after young adults. Well, I initially thought, well, how am I going to go after young adults? I mean, I'm 50 something. They're 20 something. (laughs) Why should they listen to me? And, you know, all the thoughts go through your mind. Maybe I should dress like them. Maybe I should learn to speak their language. Maybe I should act like them. Yeah. Um, but in reality, what they're looking for is fathers and mothers. They're looking mm-hmm. for mentoring. And so, you know, I brought all this together. God said, make disciples with young adults. And, mm-hmm. and that is what we train teams. Find the affinity that God is calling you to. Yeah. Focus on that in the city. Um, secondly, where do you live, work, play, surf online? Well, I sit in coffee shops. So this is where I work. Um, and sometimes, you know, surf online. So I've got my space and I've got my affinity yeah. And so, um, well, it's a great fit because who do you find in coffee shops? You find waiters and waitresses mm. who are young adults who are in between. Mm. They may be studying at university, trying to earn a living. And uh, they're one day they're going to be lawyers and doctors and the leaders yeah. of the future. But right now they're working in the coffee shop. Mm. And so I began to engage the waiters and waitresses very intentionally. And uh, one young girl was about 22 years old, I began to engage her and, and really work with her and talk with her, an incredible young lady with incredible potential mm. um, and, and really hardworking. And, and I was talking to her this week and she stopped and she's black African. I'm white mm-hmm. African. She was black African. And, and she looked at me and she literally said to me, why are you not racist? <laughs> and I said, why would you ask me that question? And she said, Everybody like you that I've ever spoken to has been racist. Hmm. And, and she began to describe the impact that hmm. me talking to her was having on her life, just crossing that boundary. Hmm. Now, transformation happens at that most basic level. Yeah. Uh, when disciples begin to live and, and share the love of Christ practically and hmm. verbally in those spaces where they live, work, play, uh, and surf online. Mm. That's beautiful. And I love to see that individual transformation as as people are in groups and they're they're starting to get this this discipleship and they're starting to embody Jesus and look like Jesus. Um, how is there any uh, any work that you do on on purpose and calling and contextualization of of Jesus to where they work and play and surf online. Um, is there any work that way so that they actually know that we could actually translate what's happening here to the rest of my life? Yeah, we actually do quite intense work on that. Um, and so we have a, a module called focus that takes teams through a process that helps them discover uh, what is their calling and highest contribution in life. Mm-hmm helps them, it actually helps them form a, pur- a purpose statement for their yeah. lives. And they become extremely focused because one of the challenges in the urban environment is that it's so cosmopolitan and there are so many different types of people around us. Yeah. And movements follow natural social networks. Yeah. And it's hard to see those networks around us because we're just exposed to this diversity of people and we don't 
understand that sometimes we may have five friends, but those friends will never really sit in the same group mm. and become mm -hmm. followers of Jesus. They're part of different networks. Mm. And I don't have the energy to pursue all of them. So which one has God prepared mm. me for my entire life to mm. step into? Yeah. So we spend a lot of time with teams around that, mm. helping them to discern and understand uh, what we say is the affinity that God's called you to, the place that God has called you to, uh, yeah. and your contribution, your highest contribution. Because sometimes that can be a movement pioneer. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's administrator. Sometimes it's videographer, sometimes it's online, you know, Facebook person. Yeah. And so, um, and I'm talking urban now, but, you know, helping them understand what's their contribution uh, yeah. to that place that God's called them to. And so we spend a lot of time on that. Mm, that's good. I think that's really key and valuable and important uh, as people can start to contextualize their, their faith in Jesus and their life in Jesus to their entire life, that it's not compartmentalized to this one aspect in one area. Um, you know, as you're working with movements uh, in urban settings uh, all over the place, uh, what are some things that are really getting you excited right now? Uh, any stories uh, that you are dealing with around the world that get you really excited? I mean, you know, the thing that gets most Christians really excited is the supernatural, what seeing God move. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and and so, um, you know, seeing God move, first of all, and just transforming people's hearts and lives. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons that I'm involved on the ground and working with people, because I want to see that myself. I don't want to yeah. hear secondhand stories of that. Yeah. I want to see that myself, you know. Um, when, we, when we started our uh, church in Midrand, it was just supernatural the way that God um, built it. And that just continues. Our first uh, church member was a, was a witch, practicing mm. witch, came to Christ. Uh, we saw a high-level businessman uh, come to Christ through the funniest stories um, and, and how God was working in their life. So that, that really is, is seeing uh, hearts transformed because of mm. a God encounter. Yeah. Um, it is always really, really exciting. Mm. Um, and, and it's a bit of a quandary because you can't you can't make God do things. Yeah, uh, that's also what's exciting is is <laughs> you know seeing God just surprise you and and turn up. Mm. And then in the in the urban space, we're focused on um, three different areas at the moment. Um, three macro affinities. Uh, the one is urban slums. Mm -hmm. Urban slums make up twenty five percent of the cities around the world. Mm. And so um, urban slums are growing and exploding, mm. and uh, there's very little work in urban slums that ha that is movement-based, mm. and, and they're wide open to the gospel. And so um, we have got a, a network that has emerged that is focused on urban slums um, mm. around the world, primarily at the moment in South Africa and Kenya, mm -hmm. and breaking up into in, breaking into other cities. Uh, the thing that personally excites me the most really is the young adults. Um, I think that in, in urban spaces, young adults, which we define as 18 to 35 years old, is probably the most exciting space. You know, we sometimes forget that Jesus' disciples were young. Yeah. And, um, and they turned the world upside down. Yeah. I, I think young adults have this incredible potential to turn the world upside down. Mm. And, and so we're seeing these young emerging leaders. And that, that to me is extremely exciting. Mm. Um, and then the third area is the, the business arena. And uh, we are involved in that. And I think that um, the realm of business, especially business owners, mm. small business owners um, are extremely open to the gospel mm. and helping them to become involved in movements of the gospel has just been so exciting and taking them mm. and showing them what God is doing and then getting them involved both in their own spaces, the people yeah. that they employ, their own business environment, their own communities, and then their, their cities has mm. been extremely exciting. Mm. That's great. Um, yeah, I just have a, a couple of questions here at the end. One is, uh, if you could go back to your 21-year-old self, what advice would you give? If I went back to my 21-year-old self, I would say it takes time. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Stick through it. You know, the, mm. the ups and the downs, it, it takes time. Mm. And, um, you know, we always have these ideals. People, people call me and they go, can we come and spend some time with you and, and learn from you? And I say, uh, yes. How long do you want to come? And they say a month. And I say, you're not going to learn everything, uh, anything in a month. Stay where you are. Um, it's going to take time. And mm. so if, if you want to learn and if you want to implement, come for three years, mm. but, but don't come for a month. Mm. Um, and so we, we just kind of have this impatience when we're younger. And yeah. it's good because mm -hmm. it, we, we dream big dreams and we want to change the world and we want to yeah. see things happen. I, I don't want to discourage that. I, I want to encourage yeah. that um, in the midst of that, mm. and as we press on and as we risk everything and as we trust god for the impossible mm. don't get discouraged when it doesn't happen overnight yeah it does take time mm. and and god is in the ups and he's in the downs yeah and in the downs the times that i've really been discouraged and they've been a lot are the times i've learned the most mm. the times that i've encountered god the most the mm. times that i've uh, gone through the greatest change both per personally and uh, in terms of the ministry that we do and the work that we do. Hmm. Um, so celebrate those, the ups and the downs. Hmm. And uh, if you want to be involved in movements, you're in it for the long haul. There's yeah. no shortcut. Yeah. So, so as you're, you're saying, you know, you want to be in it for the long haul. Um, and if, you know, people are young, how do we get, how do we continue to posture ourselves to be risk takers uh, for the gospel and continue to press forward and to have a long-term mentality? What does that duality look like? Well, um, I, I think just, you know, you just got to live in both worlds. <laughs> <laughs> Be a risk taker, but have, you know, have a long-term hat on. Mm. Um, it, it's, it's as simple as that, you know. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's one risk after the other. It's one failure after the other. Mm -hmm. um, who was it? John Maxwell, I think, wrote a book called Failing Forward. Yeah. Uh, actually a great book. And um, there's just a lot of truth in that. You know, we fail forward mm. and we stumble forward, all of us. Yeah. And uh, today I know less than I did when I was 21 years old. <laughs> I, I really do. I, I think as you get older, you, you realize how little you know yeah. and how much you come to depend on, on God mm -hmm. and um, him taking you forward. Mm. but it's a it's a fantastic journey and yeah. so you you embrace the journey mm. you you embrace the failure you embrace the 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 good times you embrace the the, the down times you embrace the journey yeah. but keep taking risks yeah. um keep risking everything because it's in, again in those times of risk and failure that you learn the most yeah yeah anything you've been reading or watching lately you could recommend Um, well, nothing that comes to mind. <laughs> I've, I've in the, in the last two years, I must admit, I've stopped reading anything movement related just mm. because, um, as I'm writing and sharing, I want it to be unique yeah. and, uh, I don't want to be sharing other people's ideas <laughs> right or wrong, but I'm just so scared of plagiarizing that I, and my mind just, you know, brings up, you know, what I've heard from others. And so, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm really spending a lot more time in the scriptures and a lot more mm. time listening to God and a lot more time learning from other leaders on the ground, practically what they're learning mm. um, and, and less time in the last few years um, reading what others say. Yeah. Um, that's just where I'm at. It's, it's I'm not that's recommending great. it's where I'm at. <laughs> Has, it, has God's uh, part to you anywhere in the scriptures lately that, that really resonates with you? I, I think just rereading the book of Acts, just rereading mm. and rereading how God, uh, how a movement emerges yeah. and looking at that and going Acts chapter two starts with this incredible story of 3000 people getting baptized. And if you start the, if you start there and you don't read what Luke wrote before that, the long journey that Jesus took to get to that yeah. point. Uh, and the building that he had to put into place and mm. the work with these teams and the people that rejected him and walked away from him mm. and what could ultimately be perceived as failure by them, you know, dying on a cross. 
that yeah. whole painful journey that led to this moment in Acts chapter two, where it looks like the church is, is suddenly birthed and explodes. Mm. Um, it, it's just such a fascinating story. Mm. And then what's just so fascinating to me is that Jesus does all this work with 12 disciples, loses one, and, and they replace him and they begin to build. And then, and then God goes, I'm going to use somebody else, somebody that Jesus didn't even disciple to write 50% of the New Testament. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that just, that just makes no sense to me. You know, I mean, you know, there's all this talk, Jesus discipled these 12 and he, you know, this was the birth of the movement. And then 50% of the, mm. the, the New Testament gets written by an outsider mm. um, that, that God just, you know, knocks to the ground and he gets this vision and he wasn't even one of the 12. And, and you know what, that's also true in, in our lives. I see yeah. that over and over and over. We invest deeply in a small team of people and yeah. we get three or four years down the line and God comes with this newcomer, this mm. young upstart or this, you know, guy on the side here that wasn't even part of our thing. Mm. And he, he does this incredible stuff. And, and I, it's been, it's hit me a couple of times and I've just had to say, well, you know, I think God's just telling me he's God yeah. and, and I just need to keep being faithful with what I have and celebrate mm. when God uses these people that I didn't disciple yeah. that invade my territory and, and come into the places that I've been slaving away at for, you know, a couple of years and do these incredible things. Yeah. Um, it just, God is God mm. and, and he's not going to share that with anybody else. He's, mm. he's going to be who he is. And he's going to reward me for that faithfulness of working with those 12, regardless yeah. of what other work he does. Yeah, well, that's beautiful. Yeah, we don't want to put God in a box. He's not a God in a box, and he is God. And we just, uh, yeah, wants to say he's bigger than really what we think and what we believe. Um, and uh, he is greater. Um, yeah, God is, it's pretty amazing what, what he does. I just, I love that reflection on Acts and and what happened? Um, how can people connect with you or your team um, if they want to know more? Well, at the moment, our, our primary website's down, but you can go to my personal website, uh, davidbrodrake.org. And uh, I think my name is on there, so you can see the spelling, uh, .org. And, uh, you know, and there's a contact form. It'll come straight to me or to my assistant. Great. And uh, they'll respond to you. All right. Well, David, it was a it was a pleasure talking to you. Uh, it was uh, fascinating, really good insights. And so thank you very much. It was great. Thank you, Joshua. Really great talking to you. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you want to see more episodes like this, go to patreon.com slash shifting culture and become a monthly patron of the show. You can help us produce more episodes so that we can see the body of Christ look more like Jesus. If you become a patron on patreon.com slash shifting culture, uh, you will get early access to episodes. You will get episode guides. You will get bonus shows, hopefully, and more. So go to patreon.com slash shifting culture and become a monthly patron. Also leave a rating and review on Apple podcasts. Uh, it really helps us out and helps us find new listeners to the show and just go and share this podcast with your friends, your family, your network, people that you think would enjoy it as well. Thank you again for listening to the show. I hope you have a great week.